Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we praise you for being a good God, for being a God that loves us, for being a God that gives us promises that we can continually go to over and over again in your word, and that we know that uh, through all of time, through all of our trials, through all of history, that uh, those, those promises never change, and that they will always be there, just as you are, dear Lord, you're a God that never changes. We just pray that uh, as we go over this Sunday School lesson today, that we would recognize the idols that are in our lives, and that we would uh, do all that we can to get rid of them, uh, have an understanding that the only thing that will bring true joy in our life and true fulfillment is through you, dear Lord. It's your name that we do pray. Amen. All right, so I, I am definitely not Justin Geyer. Um, I'm Andrew Walden. So a couple things that comes with that. One, I do not have a PowerPoint. And two, I do not have a handout. I ran out of time for both of them. So I knew about this class way long ago, and I still ran out of time for both of them. So I apologize for not having a handout. I do like to give away like the big bullet points of my classes before uh, I even get started. So if you are taking notes, I'll give you the three that we'll be going over, and then you can fill in after that. So the three things that we'll be going over is what is an idol? So we're going to go over the definition of uh, what should fulfill our life, and then what does fulfill our life, then the definition of an idol, and then we're going to go over how to identify those idols within our lives, and then we're going to go over how to deal with those idols in our lives. Another quick housekeeping note is I have fully intended on joining you guys every Sunday for Sunday school and listen to Justin and everything. I really love the way that Justin teaches. However, I've been pulled into the nursery quite a few times and just kind of been scattered all over the place. So I have not had the chance to be in one of Justin's classes so far. So if I say things that he's already said, just, just bear with me. Just make me feel like I'm doing a good job. So how many of you guys have ever heard of Deion Sanders? Okay, I was guessing quite a few people. So somebody, I can't see who that is. Somebody in the cry room was very emphatic about knowing Deion Sanders. Um, so Deion Sanders was a, a U.S. football player. He was also a U.S. baseball player. He was one of the few athletes that have done both at the major league level. So he played both for multiple teams in the MLB and also multiple teams in the NFL. He did so at the same time, which is kind of unheard of. I can't remember. I think he might have been one of the ones that played a game for football, then jumped in a helicopter flew to the other stadium, got out, and just went out on the field and started playing a baseball game in the same day, which is ridiculous. So he was one of the best American athletes that have ever existed. I'm sure that you all want to debate me on that and everything. However, if you play both games in the same day at a professional level, you're pretty special. However, in 1997, he hit just a pit. He was playing for the Cincinnati Reds, so he was playing for a professional baseball team, and he was also playing for the Dallas Cowboys, one of the, I say this lightly, one of the best football teams at that time. We'll, we'll leave it there. So he was playing for the Dallas Cowboys, one of the best football teams at that time. So he was at the top of his game on both sides. However, in 1997, he drove his car off of a cliff and attempted suicide. He was at the height of everything, how we would see it how the general culture would see it. Whenever you heard Deion Sanders, you knew him as primetime. He was so famous, he had his own nickname that he made up and people grasped onto. However, in one of his autobiographies, he explains that even with all the success and all the things going on, 
it was all empty. He got no fulfillment from it whatsoever. He won a Super Bowl, left the stadium feeling completely depressed. And the reason for that was because he lived his entire life for sports. From the time he was a kid all the way up until his professional career, everything he did was for sports. That's what he strove for. And he finally gets to the biggest game in his favorite sport, the Super Bowl, wins it, gets done with it, and just goes, this is it. This is what I lived my entire life for, was this moment, and it doesn't fulfill me. And you, looked at other, you look at other football players, you look at other coaches. I mean, I think it's Bill Belichick that would famously go to a post-game Super Bowl speech and go, yeah, we're looking at next season. Like, he just brushes off the fact that he just won the biggest game of most people's career and just says, we've got to look at next season. There's no joy in it for him. That is a beautiful picture of what idols can do in your life. They destroy you. What we're going to go over today is what exactly an idol is, and we're going to hopefully dig into maybe some of the idols that are in our lives. I'm going to, this was a rough chapter to go over for myself because there's a lot that was coming up, a lot of idols that I was recognizing in my life that I needed to cut out as I was doing it. So as I talk through this, if it feels like it's getting a little bit close, it's because it got close to me too. So I'm not talking to you. I'm probably talking to myself through most of it. So what is an idol? Well, first off, before we really understand what an idol is, we have to understand what our lives should truly be going towards. Our lives should be filled with a deep love and focus of the Lord. We should be filled, we should be filling the God-shaped hole in our hearts with God himself. God alone can satisfy us, and we are told this many times in the Bible. So we see in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance a race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what are we seeing there? What are we supposed to be looking towards? What are we supposed to be filling our lives with in that text? We're supposed to be looking towards Christ. We're supposed to be looking towards Jesus. The second verse that I found was uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So again, we're reminded that we're not supposed to be looking at temporal things. We're not supposed to be looking at things that are here on the earth that we can grasp onto ourselves, that we can achieve ourselves. What we're supposed to be doing is continually striving to look towards Christ. The final one that I'll bring up is this Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. However, as fallen man, even with having these verses continually in our hearts, I guarantee you many of you have heard those verses, you've studied those verses, you've probably taken those verses apart and really meditated on those verses, but we still allow idols into our heart. As fallen man, we don't live lives that strive to fill that God-shaped hole with God. We fill it, or try to fill it, with things that just don't matter, with idols. So according to Bigney, in his book here, an idol is anything or anyone that begins to capture our hearts and minds' affections more than God. 
And he brings up Romans 1, 21 through 23 to explain this. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. The truth about man is that we are made to fully love and only love one thing, and that's God. We were designed specifically for this reason. As, as much as we as Americans want to think that we're independent and that we can you know, make it on our own, um, not making a political statement here because I do believe in the American dream. I gave five years of my life in the Army for it. However, that American dream and the things that we're continually told over and over and over again are often to our detriment as Christians because we're, we're raised from the time that we're born in America to fully believe that we can do it on our own. We can be self-made people. The one place that we can't do that is in our walk with Christ. Because whenever we try to do it on our own or we think that we can achieve it on our own or that we don't need these other things, that's when we fall into these idols. Because then even that becomes an idol in your life. It doesn't become doing things for Christ. It doesn't become doing things in a way that was pleasing and filling your life with Christ. It becomes making sure you're the one that can take credit for getting there. And that was a tangent, and I just lost where... I'm adding my notes. We were made for one thing, and that's, uh, we can only have our full enjoyment in one thing, and that's loving God. Early, earlier, I mentioned that there's actually a defect within man, and that's that we are trying to fill a God-shaped hole in our hearts with other things. The only thing that can, that can fill those holes is God himself. So I often, I've heard this analogy quite a few times. I've always tried to think of like, I, I have a mind that really likes to picture physical objects and physical things and things like that. So whenever I hear that there's a God-shaped hole in our hearts or a God-shaped hole in our, our souls, I think of what that would look like. And it's often not, in my mind, I like doing woodworking. So whenever you're trying to fill like a hole or something like that, you don't do it with something that's just the right size. You kind of go a little bit bigger and then you tap it in. That's kind of what I'm thinking of. It's like if there's a God-shaped hole in your heart, you're not just going to, fill it just enough. You're going to fill it with as much as you possibly can and make sure that it is stuck in that spot. Whereas the things that we try to fill the hole with are really small and you have a really big hole. And it's kind of like those games that you would play as a kid where you had the different shapes that had to go on the different things. And there'd be like a square and usually every single piece would fit in the square so you didn't have to find the other hole. So you could take the X and you could, it fits in the square. And then you could take the triangle and it fits in the square. That's what we're doing. We have this hole that's shaped like a square and we're taking all these other things and just trying to put it in the hole and realizing that it's not going to, it's not going to do anything. It's just going to fall through. However, um, throughout the entire Bible, we actually see examples like we, we got there from um, Paul in Romans 1. He mentions that, there, that we take these things and we try to fill that hole. And the, the examples that he gives are these, these true false gods, these true idols that were raised up. So he brings up three specific ones. That's the mortal man, birds, and animals, and creeping things. 
So I thought it'd be kind of interesting to go through and find those through the Bible. So does, can anyone think of a place where a mortal man was, play, was put up as an idol or as a, a place of a god or place of God? Nebuchadnezzar, he was one, so uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that bow before the statue, he was placing himself up as a god. Anybody else? Yes, that's actually the one that I have down, Paul. So the one that I was thinking of is Paul and Barnabas whenever they went in and they started healing, and they were in a Greek town, I believe it was, and they mistook them for Zeus and Hermes, which the old ancient gods, the Greek and Roman gods were men. They were made in the image of men. They weren't like the Egyptian gods that were snakes and things like that. They were men, so they, they mistook them as being actual Zeus and Hermes. I always find it funny because I think of like Paul, you kind of think of him as being a really powerful figure. I would think of him as Zeus, but he's actually Hermes in that story. I always found that kind of funny because he's the messenger and Hermes is the messenger within that culture. So we also have, this one was a little bit harder. I actually had to kind of go outside the box. So creeping things. Anybody think of an example in the Bible? I actually had to go outside the Bible for it, but creeping things. Yeah. Yes. So the example was the serpent that was lifted up in the wilderness. Um, it was commanded by God, because I thought the same thing, and I looked it up, and I kept digging, and it was commanded by God, but I had the exact same thought as you have a group of people that have shown themselves to be idolatrous over and over again. That would very easily become something that they could start worshiping instead of God. But I also put down, and I, I connect, stay with me here, I connect this to the Bible this way. So, the Egyptian gods would often take creeping things and snakes and things like that and make them into the image of the gods that they had in their mind. The way I connect that is Israel was in Egypt. They would have known these gods. So there was actually two different snake gods that they had in Egypt. One of them was the, I, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the names, but she was the goddess of chaos. And it was a snake. And then you also had... Um, Another one that was the god of the underworld that was in all the hieroglyphs. They're awesome because it's literally just like a S-shaped slithering snake like you expect to see from like an aerial view. And then underneath it just has like these two very disproportionate legs that come out of it. And it's just like the snake kind of dangling and walking on these two stumps of a leg. I found it hilarious. But so you have an example there of men taking these things and making them into gods. And you might be thinking what I was thinking uh, when I was doing the study, and that's I don't, I don't worship a snake. So how does this apply to me? I don't have a, a snake as an idol. I don't have creeping things as an idol. So how does this really apply to me? Today, we don't openly worship graven images, within this church at least, uh, as we would have in the Old Testament or in the Roman times and things like that. However, we still very much have idols in our lives. So the question comes, what do we worship other than God in our lives? I'm going to hit on three of them here. And the reason I picked these three, it's the three that affect me the most too. So I have a feeling that I'm not the only one in the room that this affects the most. And there are also three that are very common within our culture. So the first one is family. Is your family your idol? So... Having and wanting a family is not in itself bad. However, it can consume our lives and our time so much that it takes the place of God. 
So we talk in our small group quite a bit. We're going over a, uh, a book right now. It's actually this one here. It's surprised by Alistair Begg, one of my favorites, called uh, Made for His Pleasure. And then one of the chapters that we went over was marriage and family. And something that, that really came up in all of us as we figured out is that we will ad- very easily adapt our time and our schedule and our sleep, all that kind of stuff for our, our kids. If, if they have, you know, if Reagan has a gymnastics tournament on a Saturday morning, I'm probably going to be up earlier than I want to be to get her ready for the gymnastics tournament and drive her to wherever he needs to and things like that. But then I think in the back of the, my mind, when did I do my Bible? When did I do my Bible study? When did I get in the, to the Lord in prayer during that time? And then I think, well, I had to get up really early. Well, I got up early for gymnastics. Why can't I get up a little bit earlier for God? That becomes an idol. It may be a good thing that we're trying to do. And in itself, it's not bad. But the problem is that we place that, that desire over God. That's when it becomes an idol. I also have down here comfort. Leisure and stability are not in themselves bad. However, what are we willing to do to sac- or sacrifice to get it? This is one that hits a lot of American men pretty hard. Because to get a lot of times to get leisure and comfort, you have to put in a lot of hours at work. So then you put your work as an idol in your life, just to make sure that you can then put your leisure as an idol at life. You think, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll put in you know, my 40 to 60 hours at work, get that money, and then go on vacation, and then relax, and then go back to work and get that 40 to 60 hours a week in, at work, to get that money, to go back on vacation. And it becomes a cycle where that becomes your life. Work in itself, it's not bad. It's what we're called to do. I mean, it's even from before the fall, men were given the task to work. We were to keep the garden before we even had sin. So work is good. But the problem is work, now that we have fallen, often becomes an idol within our lives. We strive after that work to be successful. We strive after that work to get money. We strive after that work just because we enjoy it and we allow that joy to be higher than the joy we have for God. So whenever it comes time and you need to be at church, you think, well, I could, I could, I could really just go to work on a Sunday morning, get time and a half, get a little bit more. In the back of your mind, you're justifying it. You're saying, well, if I do get that time and a half and I get that money in the bank, then I'm, I'm taking care of my family. That's, that's what I'm ultimately doing. I'm taking care of my family. So I have that. I'm secure then I can focus on things that I want to focus on like God. Yeah. So, yeah, or as Darren was saying, if I have more money, that means that I can tithe more money. I can give more money to the church. So you can justify these things very easily in our sinful fallen mind really quickly. And what happens is as we allow those justifications to continually build up and continually build up and continually build up, they take the place of God. So it becomes, I'm just going to church this Sunday to get that time and a half for this week that's it. I'll cut it off after that. And then boss comes up to you on Thursday or Friday and says, hey, we're going to work again this weekend. Can you be here? And you're like, oh, yeah, I can be. And it just slowly creeps into your mind that it's okay. You know, my world didn't fall apart this Sunday when I went to church. I'll just keep going. And then after a while, it snowballs and that idol takes over your life. And that's, that's becomes what you worship. And we bled into this next one a little bit, but money as well. Money in itself isn't bad. However, what are we willing to sacrifice to get it? We see in 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith 
and pierce themselves with the pangs, with, with many pangs. I want to point out, this verse is often used to hate money. However, it doesn't say that earning money is bad or being successful is bad. What's the word that they use there? It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. It's also not the love of money is evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, so that love of money can morph into many things. I'm going to shock a few people here, because I'm shocked in it myself. However, I've discovered that I enjoy a band called Beautiful Eulogy. I have Beautiful Eulogy. It is a Christian rap band. which if you know me is so far outside of my comfort zone that I'm shocked in myself to, th- to say that. Where I was working out one morning and I just had Spotify just picking random things and one of their songs came on. It's like, oh, I'm going to turn it. Before I could get to the phone to turn it, I started listening to the lyrics of it and the theology is amazing in it. So I just listened to it and then I was like, you know what, they're pretty good. So that, that's my workout music now. They have one song that they sing that's called Messiah. And the whole song... If you can tolerate rap for a little bit, it's like a three-minute song. It pretty much summarizes this entire class. So they have one song and one of the, the, some of the lyrics in the song, again, this is Messiah, says, when a good God gives good gifts, we generally tend to twist the list and take the list of good gifts that God tends to give and make general gods out of gifts. I suppose what, it, what exposes the worship in most of us is, close, is a close look at most of the thoughts and fears and emotions. So what they're saying there is that God gives us good gifts. He likes to give us good gifts. It brings him delight to give us good gifts. But the problem is we take those good gifts and we turn those, or we don't turn it, we try to turn those gifts into God. And we can justify it in our mind by saying, well, God gave me this gift. I'm going to enjoy it. That in itself isn't bad. But then you say, I'm going to continually enjoy it. And I'm going to strive after it. I'm going to make that my joy. But the problem is it can never be your joy. Because the only joy can come from the one that gave you that gift in the first place. So that brings us to how do we identify idols within our lives? I have three bullet points here that we're going to go over. These I didn't get from his books. I got it from a couple different books and just um, general text and things like that. So the first one that we're going to go over is ask a friend. We're left here. We're not taken as soon as we come to Christ for many reasons. One is to spread his word. One is to build a community. So we're, we're called to build a community so that we can strengthen one another, we can build one another up. But it's also for this reason. We're still sinful men. We're still working through this uh, sanctification, almost a justification, that would have been way off. We're still working through this sanctification. We're never going to be fully sanctified until we're in the presence of the Lord. So one way that the Lord blessed us is to allow us to stay here with each other to help build each other up. So there's three ways that I, I was thinking through this is, asking a friend. We often think that we can identify our sins in our lives with no problem. However, all of us miss our blind spots. Blind spots are sins that are very present, 
and we are actually comfortable with, and we're so comfortable with it that we don't even notice them any, anymore. Or ones that we have not identified, but others might have noticed within us. So like I said, we're asking a friend because community is important. We see in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Whenever I go through this list, that's going to feel a little out of place. I think a lot of people think that that needs to go towards the bottom of this list that I'll have because we're comforting, so it seems like it should be something that comes after we've identified the sin and things like that. However, it's important for us to understand that within this community, we're called to continually be comforting each other because we love each other. If, if somebody were to come in here from the outside world, would they be able to say that, that, that this place is different, that this place, there's something about this place? Or would they come into this place and think that it's just like any other place they could go to? We should be able to say that this place is different. And one of the reasons that we should say that this place is different is because we truly care about each other. We truly want to comfort each other. Another reason why we would ask a friend is it helps us avoid sin. So we see in Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens, you have gained your brother. So a lot of the times whenever we sin against one another, we may not even know that we've sinned against one another. We, when we're sinning, we may not know that we're actually sinning. That's when we have those blind spots. So it's important for us as believers to go to one another. We're supposed to go to one another if somebody sins against you. We shouldn't just sit and just let it stew and just build up in your hearts until it becomes a bitterness. We should go to one another and, be let, and explain to each other, like, hey, this is, this is what you're doing. This is what I'm identifying in your life. This is, this is not a good thing. You're falling into sin here. But on the flip side of that, if we don't have that comfort that we went over just a minute ago, it's going to be hard to do that. So if somebody's bringing a sin before you, we need to, and this is, this is hard, this is very hard, but we need to have an open heart to be able to understand that they're coming to you in love. And we also need to make sure that we're going to them in love. We're not going to be proud people going to each other just looking for that one thing that we can go and correct. Well, I'm just obeying Matthew. Don't get mad at me. This is, this is for Matt. This is Jesus. But in reality, what we need to be doing is going to each other with a true desire to identify sin within each other's lives so we can build this community stronger, but not for each other, but for the Lord. It also helps us recover from those sins. We see in Galatians 6, 1 through 2, brothers, if any is caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the love or the law of Christ. So we're, we're supposed to be comforting each other. We're supposed to be identifying sin within each other's life, but we're also supposed to be uh, helping one another through those sins. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yes. So what Mike was saying there, I'm not sure if I'm being recorded, but just in case I am, what Mike was saying is that uh, whenever we go to, or whenever somebody comes to us with a sin that's in our lives, we need to remember and understand how tough that is for them to come and say that and kind of put yourself in their place. Like, how would it feel if you were going to somebody else to say that sin? So kind of have that tender heart to accept what they're saying, not be very defensive and angry at the fact that a sin's being called out. Is that? Okay, okay. So that's the first thing I have down here for identifying your idols is make sure you have a community and you're identifying or and you're helping one another identify the sins within your life. The second way, and this is not natural to me, but it's make a list. And by that, I mean there's a list in Big News chapter here and there's also a list. I've adapted a little bit because it's actually, it's in uh, Made for His Pleasure by Beg. Um, They're lists of what you will do to maintain that idol. That's how you can identify if something is taken over your life as an idol. So Bigney, if you have the book, it's on page 119. He has these down. You will sacrifice for it. You will spend time on it. You will spend money on it. You will talk about it. You will protect it and defend it. You will serve it. You will perfect it. You will think about it. You will worry about it. You will get angry when someone blocks you from it or messes with it. You will build your schedule around it. So the one that really jumps out to me on this, and I think is probably the easiest for you to identify it as an idol in your life, is that you will get angry if someone blocks you from it. Because at that point, you should be able within yourself to identify that it is not only taken over your life, but is now affecting and changing your personality and your attitude. If it is engrafted on your heart so much that you get physically angry at somebody if they try to block you from it or if for that day you can't do it, you have, a, you have an idol because it's taking over something. It's taking over your life. The example that he gives in the book I'm not a golfer, but I can identify with him there as he talks about how he loves golf. There's many times that he has to actually take his golf bag and hang it up in his garage because he realizes that 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 leisure activity is taking over for him. And he says the way that he, he kind of realizes it is every now and then he'll go golfing again and he'll be driving by the golf course to a meeting, and he says one of the first thoughts that pop into my mind is maybe they'd be willing to change the meeting location to the golf course, and then I can do both, and I'm still fulfilling my ministry, however, I'm getting, I'm getting 18 holes in, and he, that's when he, and then he, you know, whenever he starts justifying it over and over again, and then he talks about how sometimes he'll get upset if he had plans to go to the golf course, but then, you know, a family event will come up, like he forgot about a birthday or something like that. It makes him angry that he has to go to this birthday party instead of just go out on the golf course, things like that. Beg also has a list in his book. His list is more focused on when uh, the love of money and work takes over your life. Um, I've adapted a little bit because a lot of the points still work here. So on his, and a lot of them are very similar to Big News. So on his, he has thoughts of it consume your day. Others succeeding at it make you jealous. I identify success in terms, or in terms in it rather than in Christ. My family is neglected because of it. 
I live in paralyzing fear of losing it. I am prepared to sacrifice for it. And God gets my leftovers rather than my first fruits because of it. The one that jumped out to me, there's, a couple, there's quite a few that jumped out to me on that one. But the one that, again, jumped out to me is others succeeding at it makes me jealous. That's, again, a adapting of your personality and adapting of your emotions towards this thing that's changing you. That's obviously an idol within your life. And then also uh, one that is the two at the bottom. I am prepared to sacrifice for it and that God gets my leftovers rather than my first fruits because of it. And that I'm prepared to sacrifice for it ties in very closely with uh, Bigney's last one of uh, I build my schedule around it. So, you know, things like sports, things like your leisure activity, things. I'm a huge Notre Dame fan. I love Notre Dame football. Like I, I love Notre Dame football. I had to cut Notre Dame football, much like Big Knee did, <laughs> out of my life a lot because if it came, like, somebody would be getting married. I'd be like, why didn't they check the Irish? Why would you get married? And that was before I got married because then we scheduled our wedding when Notre Dame played, who did they play? <laughs> yeah, I can't even remember, I mean, I, I, I'm making myself feel good here because I forgot who they even played, and it was, oh, Notre Dame played Miami at Soldier Field. That's a big game. That's a big game for an Irish fan. So they played, and they literally kicked off the hour that we had our reception. And so I made sure that my phone stayed in my pocket the entire time. But it was funny because we left the reception, got to the hotel so we could fly out the next morning on our honeymoon. And I'm checking in and I have a Notre Dame t-shirt on because I changed by that time. And the receptionist at the desk is like, oh, did you see that game? I was like, oh, I didn't. Let's not talk about it because I'm going to go hopefully check ESPN at some point. But, but my point is that I would actually at some point adapt my schedule. So if I knew Notre Dame was playing a one o'clock kickoff, I would make sure that everything in my life up to that point, that Saturday morning was done by one o'clock. So I didn't get in trouble for anything. And I just had that free time. And then kids happened and there's no free time. So that helped pull that idol out of my life. So, so the next question is, how do we deal with these idols once we've identified them? Actually, I'm going to go back a little bit. There's one point that I forgot to put in here. That's one of my favorite tests for idolship in your life. So what is the first question? I'm opening this up to the floor. What is the first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism? What is the chief end of man, and what is the chief end of man? Yes, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So what is the, the first question in Westminster Catechism is what is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I read this in a book called The Home Team, and he gives an example of if you take out man from what is the chief end of man, you take out man and put anything that you think might be an idol in your life and then answer the question, you know if you have an idol. So what is the chief end of Notre Dame football? Is it to glorify God and enjoy him forever? No. If that's taking over my life, then we got a problem. What is the chief end of your family? Is it to glorify God and enjoy him forever? If the chief end of your family and the things that you're doing with your family is not that, 
then it could be an idol. What's the chief end of your job? Is it to glorify God and enjoy him forever? If it's not, then you need to reevaluate it. Does that make sense? I've always loved that. It's very convicting because a lot of things <laughs> that you judge against that come out to be idols. So how do we deal with the idols? First thing that I have down here is putting up hedges. So we often hear people talking about hedges. Um, the reason you put up hedges is to make sure that you have hedges built up so that once a sin or an idol starts to creep into your life, you already have this hedge to protect against it. So I'm a history buff. I love history. One of the problems after D-Day. So D-Day happened June 6, 1944. We invaded the beach. Huge casualties. However, we took the beach. It took us, I believe, five days to completely secure Normandy Beach totally. However, it took us until the end of August to even get past like the villages just outside the beaches. And it's because the French had built up these hedgerows everywhere in the countryside. And it was to, like we would have barbed wire fence that was kind of mark off their property. It was to keep the cows in. It was all these things that we would use it for. However, this was like generations and generations and generations of maintaining these hedgerows. And they were so strong and so thick that our tanks couldn't even make it through. We would have to call combat engineers up to the hedgerows and literally blow these things up just to be able to make it past the hedgerows. So it's important for us, using that as an example, to have hedges within our life. And examples of hedges that we can have in our life is for men or women, who are you willing to ride in a car alone with? If you don't have a hard and fast rule and a hedge around that, that could lead to something that you don't want it to. Or what apps do you have on your phone? This can be something very dangerous as you know, let your mind go on that one. Or it can be something as simple as just a game that you're allowing to take every single bit of your free time. Or Facebook. Is Facebook taking over your life to the point that you're, whenever you wake up, it's the first thing you check. When you're in your Bible study, your phone's next to you, and in between sentences, you're grabbing it to make sure nobody had posted anything, things like that. You have to have hedges up. If those apps are taking over your life, you're, you're going to live if you delete it. I promise you. Another one that I have down here is what schedule do you have for your day and how rigid is it? This one can kind of lead down a legalistic road, so take it as you will. However, um, I, I like having a schedule. I think it's from my military background. I love having a schedule. I knew in the military it was planned out for me. I knew what time I had to wake up, what time I was doing room inspections, what time we were doing PT, what time I had to get to op the office, what time we were going to go to lunch, what time we were going to go home. And then what time I had to go to bed to make sure that I could start it all over again the next morning. It was great. Didn't have to think about anything. I even had my uniform picked out for me. So a hedge that you can build for your life is making a schedule for your life. For me, my schedule today, I wake up at 4 o'clock every morning to make sure that I can get in the Word because all my kids are early risers. I found out very quickly that having Jeremy on your lap while you're trying to read your Bible is not, it's going to be as bad as Facebook. You're not going to get anything done. So I wake up early. I make sure that I'm up early enough that I can get into the Word, get the kids breakfast ready, things like that, and then also get ready for work, get out the door, and then start my schedule. However, I know within myself that if I hit that snooze too many times, then I'll hit that snooze too many times the next day, and I'll hit that snooze too many times the next day. So I make sure that my schedule is rigid enough that I'm up when I need to be, I have the time that I need for the Lord, and then I can align my day to make sure that these idols don't creep in. 
You also need to make sure that you are examining your life. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, let a person examine himself then and set, and this is talking about the Lord's table, and we'll, we'll actually go over this a little bit for communion today, but let a person examine himself then and set, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. So we're called to examine our lives before we even take the Lord's table. We should be continually examining our lives through the week, though. We also see in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by, the t- by, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. So sit down and evaluate your life every day. Wait, what were you trying to fill that God-shaped hole in your life with today? It's not a bad idea just to examine it. It's not a bad idea to have that kind of quiet time before you go to bed, just to sit back and reflect on your day. And then the final thing that I have down here is also the Westminster Catechism, so make sure you're using some kind of tool. I know a lot of people, when they're going through trials and struggles and things like that, they have that verse that they go to. It's not a bad idea to have a verse to go to when you feel like an idol's creeping into your life. Have something to test that idol against. In conclusion, I'm going to shockingly go back to beautiful eulogy. The final, ver- the final section of that song is, is absolutely beautiful. And it says, help us, and he's kind of, it's kind of a prayer, help us not to be hasty when it comes to temporal blessings and always see them for what they actually are meant to be. A mere extension of your love and kindness extended to an undeserved humanity. Help us not see greater value in the gifts you give and not become distracted from their intended desire. May we regard the world and all that is in it as nothing compared to the satisfaction, goodness, I can't say that word, and knowing our Messiah. So the point is, don't take the gifts that God gives us and make them God's. It's not going to fulfill you. It's not going to be good. You need to make sure that you're continually examining your life and cutting those things out. Make sure you're surrounding yourself with a solid community and a community that loves you to identify these things. Make sure, as Mike said, that you have an open heart when somebody does bring these things to your life. And when they are brought to your life, make sure you're doing something about it. You can't be passive in this. You just can't. The second you become passive is when they creep back in. I'll also point out that Paul is amazing in his letters at put-offs and put-ons. And the reason for that is man is very good at replacing idols with idols. So whenever you're putting off these idols, we need to make sure that we're replacing them with something that is good and something that is focused on the Lord. Don't just say, okay, I'm going to be done with this today and then expect that, that void that you left out of your life. Don't expect, if you're not filling it with something of God, don't expect it to be filled with anything else but another idol. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for allowing us just to gather here together. We just thank you for being a God that loves us, for being a God that takes pleasure in giving us gifts, even though we are just a completely undeserved humanity. We're a a fallen people that strive after the wind. We strive after things that will not fulfill us, that will never fulfill us. No matter how much we indulge in them, they will never be enough. They will constantly be wanting more of our lives until you are finally pushed out of the picture. Just allow us to identify these idols 
cut them out. Be ruthless with these idols, dear Lord, and just destroy them. It's your name that we do pray. Amen.